Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires. Solutions for your journey. Mr. Vasilash. John, how are you? I'm doing good. You Good. too, I hope. Yeah. So uh, many of our colleagues are at the uh, Chicago Auto Show, but we're holding the fort down here. That's right. We're getting, this, we're getting. This is this is more important. Yes, it is far more important. You know, we want to talk about China today, and yowza, has China been in the news this week? You know, with that balloon that came floating over the country and got shot down. Right. But but anyway, we'll be talking about the automotive side of things. So let's bring in our. Our other colleagues here, Tu Lee, who is with Sino Auto Insights and is a, one of the foremost China experts that I know, and Lindsey Brook from SAE Engineering. Great to have you guys on the show. John, thanks for having Gary, me. Nice to see you. Yes, thanks for having me. John. Good to see you guys. Tu, Lindsey's been on the show before, but uh, you know, probably a lot of the audience may not know you or what Sino Auto Insights is. Just give us a thumbnail real quick. Sure. So originally from Michigan, grew up in Pontiac, went to Big Green in East Lansing, worked in the automotive space for a few years, and then went back to grad school, moved out to Silicon Valley, worked in tech for about seven years, and then uh, chased a girl over to Beijing. Uh, we met in San Francisco, and I lived out there for about 13 years. I started Sino Auto Insights about seven years ago because I saw a lot of bad takes with the what's, what was going on with the EV sector and the, the, the disruption and having a foot in Detroit, a foot in Silicon Valley and a foot in China, I thought I had a unique perspective. And so the management consultancy, we work with EV companies, mobility companies, micro mobility companies on, you know, product market fit, helping them raise capital. Uh, we recently opened an office in Detroit or, you know, started a presence here because, because of the Inflation Reduction Act, we see a lot of opportunities to help potential electric vehicle companies and suppliers in this space as well here in the United States. So, yeah. To to add a little color to that thing you saw seven years ago, I mean, what was it? What what were some of the the elements? I equate it to languages. So, I think the four of us will have no problem talking automotive. And if I get into a room with other automotive execs, we can all talk about cars, right? Fit, form, and function, you know, annual sales and things like that. But what I what I saw missing was how technology was really going to disrupt this, you know, buy-sell thing and customer engagement, customer experience, and how just having a screen in a vehicle changes everything. And so the tech guys can't speak the auto language and the auto guys couldn't speak the tech language. And that's where I thought I was kind of an interpreter uh, having spent so much time in Silicon Valley and growing up and being a car guy. Cause I could talk, you know, combustion engines all day long with you guys as well. 
Uh, and so I saw this opportunity. And, and I must say, this new acronym, the SDV, the Software Defined, uh, Defined Vehicle, I think it's a terrible acronym because it's more than software. It's hardware, it, software, it sounds, integration. It sounds like a, some sort of disease. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's just a, the exact wrong acronym for what's going on because it's a customer engagement, user experience, right? And um, I think it's an amazing time to be in this space because in your introduction, China, the China factor is starting to gain some light, but it is a huge, huge 800-pound gorilla that needs to be addressed because we just saw today that Ford – and CATL are likely going to be building a factory in Michigan for battery cells. So they're coming. So, Well, too, you know, talk more about that because, you know, uh, if you go back 10 years ago, it was the legacy automakers from the West and, and from Japan and South Korea that were really making hay in China. Now it looks like they all got their tails between their legs. They're getting their asses kicked. You know, how do you oh, see man. it? So... So Tavares is, is very upfront now because they've effectively left the market. They're only going to be importing, Stellantis, I mean, uh, is only really going to be importing vehicles into the China market. So he's been uh, very vocal and frank about the challenges in China. I think he's half right because he has shareholders to, to uh, answer to, right? He said it's more difficult to do business in China. I don't disagree with that. But in the 35 years that the foreign legacies have kind of lived off, live high off the hog, the domestic players have gotten a lot better. And what was the catalyst for them kind of overtaking the foreign legacies was COVID and the electric vehicle revolution. So last year, 6.55 million NEVs. So if we're including BEVs, PHEVs and FCEVs, the line share is still battery electric. Tesla is going to be a huge market share uh, in, in, in China. They had 6.55 million. They, ha- they sold 800,000, over 800,000 just in December. The United States an- annual sales volume for BEVs was about 800,000. So we're talking the level of competition is completely different. The foreign legacies, they are bringing analog devices to a digital party. And what we're seeing is their share shrinking dramatically. So, Lindsay, Lindsay, did you were, were you surprised some years back when there seemed to be a mania among the big three to go to China? Oh, I was going to ask too. Whatever happened to Beijing Jeep? Because I remember <laughs> writing about Beijing Jeep eons ago uh, as being one of the first players over there. Them and Volkswagen. I remember in the early days, probably the eighties, right? Too. Yeah, so Volkswagen entered, I want to say, in 84, and then GM was the next major foreign automaker around 96, 98, and everybody else came in. Now, remember, 2009, China became the largest vehicle market in the world, and their total sales was around 22 million in a down year uh, last year, right? And so um, it was almost twice the market in the uh, twice the size of the U.S. market, okay? So um, even though they are losing share, Volkswagen still sells around 2.5 million cars there, and GM sells a little less than 2.5 million. I think, actually, I take that back. Volkswagen still sells over 3 million. 
and then GM sells about two and a half million or 2.3. Mary in November said she's going to be launching 10 new EVs by 2025 for them next or for them this year. Uh, another Cadillac, smaller Lyric, um, smaller than the Lyric, a Chevy and two Buicks. So GM is still all in on China. Volkswagen, again, all in on China. Ford, they're kind of the odd men out because I think last year total sales was around 195,000 units. Hmm. And this from a high of 1.1 million six or seven years ago. So what, what Farley is not telling you is that some of our strategy depends on how China is going to work out for us and whether or not we should leave that market. How how do the vehicles that the Western companies are developing in and for that market, how do they differ from the the incumbent kind of nativist Chinese companies in terms of, I mean, now the tailpipe emissions really aren't a factor uh, in in this, uh, like safety standards, door beams, side impact, rollover. How, How do those vehicles all compare? Well, China just became the second largest exporter of passenger vehicles. It just passed Germany in 2022. So um, there are some local brands that would never, uh, their products would never see the light of day in a Europe or the United States. But for the most part, you know, they're, they've shipped 3.2 million cars. About 700,000 of those were BEVs into Europe into you know Southeast Asia, into Latin America. BYD is likely going to take the place of Tesla as the biggest exporter of electric vehicles and PHEVs uh, in 2023 because of Berlin Giga. So we can talk about the nuances of safety and regulations, but generally speaking, I've now driven Chinese electric vehicles European electric vehicles and American electric vehicles. And they're about this close. Hmm. Um, I just introduced a friend of mine to Neo in Berlin when he went to uh, the Neo house and he is a Brit who is a car lover, ex auto exec. He said the legacy should be pretty worried. Hmm. So uh, I think that's really, really, really important because it's not – because remember, I, I'm Detroit, you know, Pontiac born and bred, right? So I understand panel gaps. I understand the, 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 the squeaks and the rattle traps. So I get all that. And when I first moved to Beijing in 2010, I would get into a BYD and I would say, this is trash. You know, the, the, the doors are super thin. But remember when Daewoo – imported the Le Mans, the Pontiac Le Mans. It was kind of like that uh, into the United States. But now they know how the doors should sound. They know design. And what they're ahead of really versus their foreign counterparts is the connectivity, right? How that plays in Europe and the United States, we'll, we'll find out. But that's why they resonate because – the average Cadillac buyer in China is about 20 years younger than the average Cadillac buyer in the United States. Hmm. And same with ABB, ABB being Audi, Benz, and, and Beamer. Okay, so the connectivity is 
integral to their life as opposed to here. It helps us. It's an enabler, but it's not an integral part, especially not in the vehicle. Mm. But that's going to change, right? So, so uh, hey, I, I got a question. Well, let's start with two, but I'd, I'd love to hear from Gary and Lindsay, too. And, and two, you mentioned it at the very beginning of the show, the top of the show, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. Is this going to make the U.S. competitive with China when it comes to EVs? Because right now, as you guys know, I mean, China has got the supply chain locked up from the, the raw materials. I mean, going back to the mines all the way to the, the battery pack. So what do you think? Two, you get to start. <laughs> so... Right now, the final language has not been, been frozen on that IRA when it comes to the subsidies. I think that'll happen in March. But what I do know is the foreign legacies, Japanese, Koreans, they're all lobbying Washington. Even the U.S. legacies are lobbying Washington to, to have some carve-outs or some grandfathering period. Because right now, none of the legacies in the United States, whether they're Japanese, Korean, or American, can fulfill their forecast for 2025 through 2030 without China Battery Inc., right? And so, you know, we had talked about just just at the beginning of the show how Ford is basically giving CATL cover fire in order to build a factory in Michigan. So how is that going to play out? I'm I'm curious to know as well, because what we'll likely see is a a trickle of Chinese electric vehicles enter the U.S. market and um, I know this because I know this, but that'll probably start having late, happening late 24, early 25. NEO has already said they're going to be in the U.S. by 2025. BYD is likely going to uh, be in the market as well. And where we need them to be in the market is the sub $45,000 price point. Now, if that still happens they're going to have to eat a lot of the tariff because there's a 27.5% tariff that was put on in 2018 uh, that GM uh, eats when it imports the Buick Envision into the United States and Polestar eats most of with the Polestar 2. So if we're wondering, is China going to import into the United States? That horse has already left the barn. They're going to do it. And, but we all know, because we all follow the auto sector, if you want to be a long-term player in the United States, you've got to build locally. And so that'll be their strategy long-term. And I'll, I'll throw another little caveat out there. They could, they could hire Foxconn to be their contract manufacturer. That's a play that they have, right? Or Magnus Steyer. So 20, 30 years ago, they couldn't do that. So, so what, do you, what do you think? think? Yeah, too. What do you think the implications of, I mean, we, we all follow U.S.-China relations and China relations with the rest of the world and uh, Chairman Xi's regime, regime and things are looking, you know, more and more incendiary. And let's take Taiwan out of the picture for a moment. You know, what could happen there? But with what happens in the Straits of uh, of Taiwan, what hap- happens with interceptor aircraft, you know, rubbing noses with our our aircraft? Uh, surveillance balloons, et cetera. I mean, this isn't 20 years after the end of World War II and U.S. attitudes about Japanese imports. This is a real conflict that's going on. And when you read uh, the general press, the political press, it's being framed as they're an adversary. They're not, they're not a friend. It, it surprises me with this Cato deal with Ford. 
And I think it could really, you know, come back to, to really hurt them uh, if, if this does become much more of a flashpoint relationship. But uh, at the retail level and Chinese brands coming in, how, how does all this affect that? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. What, what's your view? So um, a friend of mine, he's the founder of Detroit Bikes. And Detroit Bikes positioning and kind of their, their, their uh, value proposition to customers was we build everything uh, and we, we source everything from the United States. They, roll, they had bought rolled steel from Indiana. And he said, Americans love American-made products. It's the second most important thing. It's the second most important criteria that they have. You know what the first, the, the most important is? Is price. Exactly. So <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about whether or not we're accepting of Chinese products, but Walmart is one of the largest companies in the world. 90% of their products come from China. Well, you know, so, too, I'd say what, what proves this out is Harbor Freight because, because it's, uh, you know, it comes from various Chinese plants, but they just put kind of a Western name on, on the products and nobody seems to care. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And the, the other part of, of watering down the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a high likelihood that GM will ship more cars from China to the United States. Mm. There's a... So, so Volkswagen has already announced that they're going to be shipping by 2024 Chinese-made Volkswagen into Germany. Hmm. So whether or not we like that, because at the end of the day, the, US, or the, the legacies here do not have the products or the manufacturing capacity or the lithium to be able to fulfill these forecasts. So but but, but you, let me let me, 20- let me let me let me interrupt, interrupt you there. I mean, when you're talking about the manufacturing capacity, um, you know, I, I've seen estimates that um, by 2026 we will have in the United States the ability to make more than 4.5 million EVs here, and there's some question about whether there will be sufficient demand for all of those vehicles. So, I mean, aren't we sort of putting the cart before the horse, or not even, you know, getting near the farm where the horse and the cart are? So here's, here's the rub. GM and Ford don't want to make two, power, two different powertrains for two different regions, right? So they, they're already on board to, to sell you an EV, all right? They weren't on board three years ago, and that's why the slow, slow roll. But the Inflation Reduction Act and GM talking about this Ultium platform, and yeah, maybe we have capacity for $4.5 million, but at what price? We rolled out the F-150 Lightning at $40,000. Now it's at fifty-seven, right? The only company that's reducing EV costs or prices is Tesla, right? I mean, Ford, they reduced it by a rounding error, right? So, and, and th- this is what I want to emphasize. I think over 80, 85% of all NEV sold, so including, you know, plug-in hybrids in China, we're under 300,000 RMB, which means they're under about $45,000. They live in that price, price range. And guess where EV adoption is going to happen at a mass scale at the $45,000 price point, right? Everything else is tens of thousands a month in the United States if we stay at the $60,000, $80,000 price point. That's the reality of it, right? And so if, if we want to 
position or, or transition completely over to electric vehicles, we're going to need these Chinese cars to fill some of those segments that the, the legacies can. See, politically, I just don't see that happening. I, I don't see Chinese imports coming in. You, you know, you mentioned the 27.5% import tariff. That gets to be a bigger and bigger bite the lower and lower the MSRP is. Right. So, and mm-hmm. the other thing, I just think politically it's not going to happen. Now, if Chinese companies want to assemble cars in the United States, then I don't think it's a problem at all. And not because of the tariff. You know, if you can argue, hey, look, we're, we got a plant here. We're employing Americans to make this. Yeah, sure, there's going to be backlash, just like there was when Honda went into Ohio 40 years ago. And now nobody thinks twice about it. And that's why I, I love your point about uh, whether it's Foxconn or maybe Magda Steyer. Uh, and Magda Steyer uh, is supposedly soon going to announce a new plant, assembly plant in the U.S. or North America, I should say, not, not the U.S. But I, I think if... Uh, the Chinese make cars here, they're going to be fine. Although we'll see because, you know, CATL wanted to put that battery plant in uh, Virginia and the governor there, Youngkin, came out and said, hell no, we're not going to have any Chinese, nothing here. And uh, I think that's a huge mistake on his part. You know, uh, it's CATL is not a government owned company, you know, and I, I, and in fact, I think that that plan has a really good shot at ending up in Michigan because Virginia didn't want it. Don't right. forget, John, that that Volvo is making cars in South Carolina and arguably, since they're owned by Geely, Chinese company. I, no, no, they are absolutely are a Chinese company. I also think there's going to be a big backlash in Europe to imported Chinese cars, especially if Volkswagen tries to import them. Because remember, half of the supervisory board of any German company our labor and government representatives. And they're not going to stand a a second for cars being imported when uh, people working on the ICE product are losing their jobs as these EVs replace them. So that's my prediction. I I think we're going to see a big backlash in Europe to Chinese imports. Although, again, if the Chinese... Uh, you know, hit, you know, pounding that drum, right? Right, right. So, but, but again, I think if the Chinese assemble cars in Europe, that's going to take off so much of the pressure and they'll be allowed in. What, what do you guys think? You know, you mentioned CATL uh, in possibly in Michigan, uh, a heavy labor state. Uh, What does that factor to? Well, um, nobody well, wants the union. <laughs> well, but, but, but let's face those big battery plants don't have all that many people in them. So I don't know that labor would be such a such an onerous cost for well, them and, to bear. And, and I think, well, I I think we should also remember that Goshen, who's which is a, a Chinese battery cell manufacturer, has already committed, I think, two and a half billion dollars, you know, along with uh, some funding from from uh, a Grand Rapids suburb. Yeah. to build a battery cell component factory in and Michigan. If I may really quickly, uh, John, you make a good point. And, and, and um, I do believe, so, so let me clarify. I think they'll initially start by importing, but eventually they'll build locally because in Europe, that's their strategy as well. Right. We'll spend the next few years importing in the tens or the hundreds and the thousands and, you know, dip our toe in the water understand the, the segments, understand the market, understand the customer, and then we'll make huge investments. And so that's what I meant. Yeah. Because yeah. I think you're right. So, 
So, Gary, what would you do if you're the, the governor of Michigan? Would you welcome a Chinese plant to come into your state? Um, if I were a politician and I worried about getting jobs, I would absolutely welcome them to come into my state. And, you know, the interesting thing to, to question is, is whether Yunkin, when he was done making that, that speech that he pulled out his phone and got on TikTok, you know, I mean, it's just. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, he, he, he posted it on the TikTok to tell all of his fans yeah. there, right? So. Yeah. I mean, for those it, who it, don't know, TikTok is a Chinese owned company, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, so, so you have the situation where, you know, it's just like the obvious things, you know, you, people are concerned with, but it's the things that they don't necessarily see that they're not so concerned with. I mean, you know, we, we talk about where, where vehicles come from. And now I understand, you know, that this is North America, not just the United States, when we're, we're talking about the, you know, the domestic, uh, the, the Detroit three companies. But I mean, are, are there a whole lot of people who say, I don't want to buy a Mustang Mach-E because it comes from Mexico? I, I don't want to have a I don't want to have a Hemi engine in my Dodge because it comes from Mexico. <laughs> Lindsay, what do you think? Well, how, how do you think this is going to play out? The Chinese coming to America? Yeah, I just I just look at again this you know this uh, being labeled John as an adversary, and uh, I mean Xi's administration. We, we all hoped uh, that his predecessor, with kind of the opening of China and kind of the mercantilism and and uh, and kind of like quasi capitalism. That it would kind of change, it would change the regime, it would change the, the mindset. But uh, I, I think that's very different, and I think there's there's a, a very poisonous political uh, reaction worldwide uh, to to the, the folks that are running China right now. And I'm not saying that any of you guys are wrong because we've seen it with Japan. Although Japan was still in the 80s, was still an ally of ours not labeled an adversary. And I think, I think this is going to be a factor. Well, the Boston Consulting Group has, has recently done a study of global trade, and, and they may have their finger on something whereby they see there is a block that would consist primarily of China and Russia, and then another block that would consist yeah. of the European countries and North America. So, you know, yeah. maybe, Lindsay, what you're seeing is, is going to, to roll out. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I own some Chinese products, uh, as everybody does, and, uh, and they perform fine. And they were, they were much less expensive, to two's point, uh, than a comparable product. But, but, I mean, this is happening on a lot of different levels and in, in, in Congress and I think worldwide. Uh, things are shaping up to be kind of liberal democracies and authoritarian governments. And I had hoped that that would change by now, but it's not. It's heading in the wrong direction. And when you see when you see, um, you know, an alignment with Putin, who's kind of the personification of everything that is bad about an authoritarian government. And you see the Chinese aligned with with them. Um, you know, I, I don't I, I just don't think it's going to be as smooth as uh, as perhaps some of these companies think. But yeah, Lindsay, but- do you think if a Neo came into the U.S. market, okay, nobody had ever heard of a Neo before, and they didn't know, you know, what its source is, do you think they would not buy it? Well, I think, you know, um, Buick Envision is a great example you guys brought up. I mean, you don't realize that. It's a Buick. Um, I, I think it depends on the scale. I think it depends on what's going on in the world, really. Uh, as long as there ain't a shooting war. Or as long as, uh, you know, um, you know, one of our ships 
gets hit inadvertently or a plane crashes or like we saw a few years ago, a plane was downed and, and the crew was, uh, you know, was basically, you know, pulled off the plane. Uh, all these things can happen. And this, these are all, ex- you know, existential events. I mean, a year ago, there were still people thinking that uh, there'd be no invasion of Ukraine. So I'm looking at it in really a kind of a different a different set of glasses than just a pure automotive industry glasses. John, let me ask you a question. So when the traditional domestics all went to China, part of the deal was that they had to partner up with a Chinese company. Um, do you think that perhaps what has happened is that these these partnerships led the Chinese companies to get a whole lot of knowledge about manufacturing stuff, and now they are as two said earlier, you know, to the point where they're getting really damn good. Oh, that, that was the plan all along is they, you know, they knew that China had very good engineers, but they had never put cars together, not from a total system standpoint. And that was uh, the whole uh, idea behind this. You know, you have to have a Chinese partner was uh, to create jobs, number one, but then to learn how to do it. In fact, there was a, a time there and two, I'd love to get your uh, feedback on this. When China told all the legacies from outside of China, you have to create an indigenous Chinese brand that has to be done completely in China. You can't take an old platform or even a new platform from the U.S. or Europe. And uh, this is why General Motors went out and created Baozhen. And, and Baozhen for a while was red hot. I mean, it, 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 it smoked Chevrolet in China. But I didn't see any of the other legacies create an indigenous brand. And, and I was told flat out in China that the reason that they, they wanted to have these indigenous brands uh, was so that Chinese uh, knew, would learn how to develop a product literally from the ground up. And, uh, and boy, did they learn. I mean, their, their products, uh, I, I think, are absolutely equal to what's uh, available in Japan, South Korea, the U.S. or Europe right now. But what happened with that, too, that, you know, Baozhen was created, but I didn't see anybody else create a brand. So the, the Chinese government, they they sometimes throw out some trouble, and, you know, uh, pun intended. But uh, <laughs> uh, so so and, and, and remember, the Volkswagens and the GMs historically have had the closest relationships with the central government because they've been there for so long. Right. So. Every single foreign company has a government relations team, right? And what's really important and a distinction here um, is that Volkswagen wouldn't be who they are. GM wouldn't be who they are without the China market, okay? And so they were willing participants in a lot of this stuff. And they got, they, they got super rich off of it because currently – 50% of Volkswagen Group's profits come from China, okay? So it's not like they got starved. Now, I actually think the other way, they got so they got so fat and so lazy that they didn't see this electric vehicle revolution coming. And guess what? They got caught flat-footed, not only by Tesla, but by Neo, X-Pung, by Li Auto. Because remember, Neo is almost a 10-year-old company. So it didn't come around the corner. They saw this happening, okay? And another um, protectionism that they did years ago 
they created a white list of battery cell manufacturers that you were required to buy from. And it had nothing to do with them um, being Chinese, but all the companies on the list were Chinese. And so that's what created CATL, right? And so they do these things because they can think long-term, right? In the United States, we think in, in four and eight year cycles effectively. And so, um, and I, I, I empathize and agree with a lot of what Lindsay has said, but it doesn't stop GM from selling two and a half million cars there. Right. And if we are the free trader, then, and, and, and this is where it gets a little confusing to me, right? Because as a consumer, I want the best product I can buy for my hard earned money. And if that happens to be a Japanese product or a German product, so be it, right? And, and I get the rhetoric and I get the, the nationalism, but at the end of the day, the competition is what's going to make GM and Ford build better EVs too. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're hey. probably going to take a break. And, I, and so in, in the 17 seconds, I want to ask you guys, I'm going to ask you this, and so think about it over the 17 seconds, okay? And then each of you come in with an answer. So, so two, you made an interesting point about how Volkswagen was caught flat-footed, okay? I would make the argument that most of the Western auto companies were caught flat-footed by Tesla, that Tesla basically disrupted Mercedes and General Motors and, and Toyota and everybody else. Okay. So my question to you guys is this. Does this indicate that the traditional OEMs are incapable of, in the long term, being able to compete with companies that are disrupting the industry? So you got 17 seconds oh, to think about Perfect. That. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do Bridgestone tires stop shorter on wet roads? It's their hydro track technology. But you don't have to know how the science works. Just where the brake is. What really matters is their Bridgestone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. 
Okay. So start with you, John. With me. Um, woo, that's a toughie. Uh, I don't think the legacies are out of it, but uh, clearly they cannot move as fast as the startups. You know, they're trying to juggle a nice business and bring on an, a Bev business. Uh, so they're splitting their efforts right there. The good news is at least they're making money on their their ice business. So that'll help fund the, the EV side of the business. But it, it still comes back to operational speed and efficiency. And I mean, just, just look at Tesla's profit margin. I mean, Tesla made more profit last year than General Motors did, even though General Motors sold 4 million more vehicles <laughs> than Tesla did. It's staggering. It's staggering. And I, I think the same applies to the, the Chinese startups. Uh, I, I think they'll probably even eat the lunch of the legacy Chinese automakers, especially the government owned ones, because I think that government ownership, you know, allegiance to the party and all that kind of thing is is equally a drag on them. So I, I don't know if I'm totally answering your 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 question there, uh, uh, Gary, but I, I think the bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall, i.e., I think probably Toyota and Volkswagen uh, are the most threatened by this change. Lindsay, flat-footed or being able to get back on their feet? Yeah, a, a retired GM executive that John and Gary both know and have interviewed many times, but I, I can't say who it is. I, I probably could, but I'm not sure how he would react if this was public. But he told me that this was in late 90s where GM, you know, had been looking at Toyota, looking at Honda, but particularly at Toyota, you know, how do we beat these guys? The conclusion was we can't. From, from the very top of the company, from the CEO, you know, the, the strategy board, they realized that every way they looked at this, they could not beat them. And this is right when, you know, Prius was coming out. Uh, they, they could not, they could not match these guys. And I was astounded by many of Farley's comments in this last investors meeting where he's still looking at Toyota. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, Jim, is Jim Harbor around to answer these questions? You know, he's still saying uh, uh, some of our plants I go into and I'm embarrassed to be there. Some of the plants are almost as good as Toyota or to words of that effect. You know, it's, it's the freaking 2023 and he's, they're still looking at Toyota as something that they can't attain. Now, Toyota's gotten blasted for not being on the EV bandwagon, but you know, Prius just shocked everybody. Toyota could do that again, Gary. Uh, let's say they get to solid state technology and they nail it just like they nailed nickel metal hydride technology. And, and let's say it's within the right vehicle, within the right demographic, the right price range, everything. I mean, I, I'm not counting them out at all. Two. So I'll, I'll um, throw out a few pieces of food for thought for you all. Um, because um, being American and having lived in China for so long, technology is a part of my everyday life. And part of winning in this new era is going to be leaning into technology, leaning into software, leaning into the digital space. And so if I asked you, name me five globally relevant technology companies that are from the United States, I don't think you would have any problem doing that. Now, name me five Chinese globally relevant. Whether they have products or not, if you know about them, they're globally relevant. They're traded on, on exchanges in Hong Kong, U.S., whatever. Likely no problem. Now, name me five German or European globally relevant technology companies. 
that's why they're going to have a harder time than the American legacy. Yeah, and, and Japan, too, I would add, too. Yes. I don't think you could name yes. one out of Japan. And Much less so um, the, the, and, and the other part of it, Toyota stepped down. He brings in another car guy. Since when do you double down on auto execs and all of a sudden the company transforms into a technology company? Right? I, I, you know, outside of, of Doug Field, there hasn't been any significant hires that I can think of at a, at a senior vice president, executive vice president level from any of the legacies. Look at what Ferrari did. They brought in a chip guy, right? Because they knew. And this is where... And, and ultimately, they just need to be faster, right? Farley has been quoted twice now in the last three or four months. We're too fat. That's effectively what he said, right? Building EVs takes 30% labor. We are 25, we use 25% more engineers for every product we build. That's effectively what he said two weeks ago, right? So these companies need to get much smaller, right? And Therein lies the rub. Can they, can they look at themselves objectively? And right. uh, it, I, I presented to an investment bank in one of my slides, the mobility space. I think automotive is a backwards looking term. So I use transportation and mobility. And if we go out far enough, I'm talking past 2030, right? I believe the top 10 mobility companies will have, will be, Mobility platforms like Uber, maybe Amazon, a couple of legacies here and there, and then a few EV first companies. So when you because, say legacies, you, you mean traditional car companies? Yeah, like a GM, right? Because the the herein lies the rub, and I still don't know where they're going to generate this from, because GM was the OG for, for technology, because they had the EV1 and they had OnStar. Didn't do anything with either of them. But now if they had them, <laughs> holy moly, right? And so they all are saying within the next 15 years, 20, 30% of our revenues is going to come from services. Those services are what Uber is doing right now, okay? They're delivering food. They're li- delivering groceries. They're delivering parcels. They're delivering people. So – and, and we can talk about manufacturing excellence, but Foxconn's going to commoditize it in the next 15 years. I promise you that. Okay? So the differentiation is going to be those services, that digital, right? Because when I get into an Uber, I don't care what brand card is. I, I don't, right? So at the end of the day, how is GM going to turn into a digital services company? Right. I think those are the types of questions that need to be answered. But, you know, but I think they, they, the have, real question, I think they have a leg up. I mean, I mean so you're, you're presuming that it can. I mean, and so this this is the the fundamental part I'm, of my I'm, original I'm, question. I'm and, hopeful. And, I'm hopeful. Um, as 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 whose father retired from GM, 20, you know, after 27 years, I'm hopeful. One of the reasons I'm back here is to help with some companies who want to make those drastic changes very fast. Because the other thing that the other food for thought I'll give you all is that things move faster in a digital world, right? And we have to remember it took Japan 
10, 12, 15, 20 years to get that Prius, right? Because Hondas and Toyotas were crap. Nissans were crap when they entered the United States. China, Chinese EVs can compete today with Tesla. They're beating Tesla in China. And Tesla is effectively a Chinese company, right? Because over 50% of their sales came from China. Their largest factory is in Shanghai. So these are the things that, with a global perspective, I, I, I knowing about and keeping track of the U.S. auto sector because of where I grew up is like breathing. But having the global perspective, and I believe that's why John, one of the reasons John brought me on was because I, I, I do look at, I try to look at things objectively. I'm a homer. I want the American companies to win. But guess what? Ford sold 200,000 cars in China, and they're still there. Why? You know, it doesn't make sense. But if they leave China, their valuation will probably get cut in half. And there goes their borrowing cost, right? So these are decisions that they have to make. But guess what? Most Americans don't know that they went from 1.1 million cars to 200,000 in five years, right? They, they shrank their sales in five or six years by that much. So, yeah. You know, it's fascinating what you're saying about the digital services, because to me, uh, based on what you're saying, it's over for the legacies. I mean, forget about it. it it's over. Google and Apple are out way out in front of them. Uh, they, they don't have uh, the digital universe or ecosystem to compete. Uh, man, I, I don't see how they catch up any of the legacies. They're inviting the fox into the hen house by allowing CarPlay and Android. Full stop. Because who are the who are the experts at data mining, data analytics, and then turning around and selling you a twenty dollars service in perpetuity? It's and and I would add, who who are the leaders in artificial intelligence? Yeah. It's them. It it so. with maybe the exception of Tesla. Tesla's pretty good at AI. Nobody else in the auto industry is. They'll talk a good game, but they're not in it at all. And 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 I believe Cruise in 12, 15 years might be GM's wild card if they can continue to invest two to three billion dollars a year in that money pit. <laughs> because you know, ultimately, that is the end all be all, right? Or at now, least to, to, to with Cruise, what, what do you think the impediments are? Why why ten years? Um, what do you think their challenges are, Cruise? So um, it's just really tough because if you're going point to point, then um, there are so there's so much data for every single use case, right? And think of think of a normal distribution curve that's inverted. Okay, so the edge cases on on an autonomous vehicle on a on a robo taxi like heavy snow, heavy rain, hail, whatever, right? These edge cases, they're the most dangerous and they kill people, right? So they need, so, but, but they let happen less often, right? So if you need 10, and I'm making this number up, 10 million miles of actual road piloting to get those use cases to, to where it's enough data that it should be safer than right. a human being driving, that's years and years and years and years. Or it's millions and millions and millions and millions of cars on the road. 
So do you, or, do you think or, both? or or there's one or more both. or simulation. And I don't, uh, uh, there's a Israeli company out there that, uh, you give it a, a driving situation and it's got the software that will calculate every potential edge case. Now it's not an end all and be all, but it greatly shrinks down the time, you know, be, because you can, uh, start designing for a lot more edge cases far faster than cars in the field are ever going to encounter them. So, so what's the business case for for Cruise or for any of these other companies? I mean, so where Waymo, are these, for example, where are the billions going to come from? So, go ahead, so, too. So, so Lindsay and, and and Gary, John is has been nice enough to subscribe to my free newsletter, and I wrote this years ago. Tell um, tell people how they can get your newsletter. Yeah, I, I want to oh, yeah, know. So, <laughs> so yeah, just jump on SinoAutoInsights.com. Okay, uh, it's a weekly newsletter. I talk. It's about really good. Uh, a, a lot of, yeah, I just kind of rant a little bit, but, um, and, and I bring in links to articles that I thought were pretty interesting. But anyways, four or five years ago, I wrote that Tesla, I I bet Tesla would almost sell cars, cars at cost just to get more cars on the road, right? Because what they're going to do is make money off of FSD, right? Yeah. And so, what we're seeing is them squeezing their profit margins on the manufacturing side to get more cars on the road. Hmm. Uh, you know, so this is the thing. The legacies can't do that because they need to sell ICEs, right? And so these EV first companies don't have that, that baggage. And it's an interesting thing because at the end of the day, Lindsay, to answer your question, or Gary, to answer your question, Tesla is already said it right well while you're sleeping that autonomous vehicle can go pick up passengers and make you money right and now that thirty thousand dollar robo taxi that you know has five screens on it and can be customized like an iphone but looks the exact same as everybody else is on the outside you know when you're not using it it can make you money right i mean that's it's like the jetsons right and, and even more than that, you know, when you go to like the cruise origin, which is the purpose built AV, that's going to have multiple passengers coming into it. That much more data. One vehicle can collect far more data than a single owner car can. Cause, and cause th the, this is why the, GM, GM's plan is it says that on average, and this includes the little Wuling mini EVs that it sells in China, all the way up to the, the Escalade uh, top line models that it, it, it makes on average $30,000 in revenue for every vehicle that it sells. It expects with a cruise origin, it's going to make $300,000 a year. Now, it's yet to be seen if they can pull that off, but that's the business plan that they've got for it. Have, have they taken the pandemic into account and how many fewer people are going to be all that keen about getting into this? Well, look, we just saw that, vehicle. Yeah, well, look, we just saw today uh, Uber's uh, revenue and, and rides yeah. skyrocketing right now. People have no problem getting they into crushed, the car. Right. OK, but if you if you order an Uber, John, you, John, are getting into the vehicle. If you order a cruise origin and you're in downtown San Francisco, there's going to be five other people who are going to be getting on along the way. You're getting so, on the bus. That's, yeah, look, that's exactly it. I, I still see people, uh, you know, wearing masks and there's still concern out there, but I, talking personally, 
I don't give, I don't even think about COVID anymore. Now, that's not to say another pandemic wave coming through is going to change my mind, but I, I think the public, certainly in this country, COVID's over and done with. Yeah, Gary, you asked be... a question earlier um, about uh, should the incumbents be worried about startups? And I mean, we've been talking about Tesla. But we, we've all seen a raft of startups that we all wrote about, Canoe, and I, I don't even think Lordstown Motors has much of a future, Workhorse, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a lot of EV-backed you know, automakers that really didn't know what automaking was. And uh, so you've got Tesla as the powerhouse. Then you've got, as Tu says, all these Chinese, which are, are kind of like startups. I mean, they're going to be newbies in the market you know, like Honda was and Hyundai was, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it, it's easy to forget how tough it is to sustain a startup company. Uh, and so the ones we've seen and we've written about and interesting technologies, 3D printed cars, et cetera, um, you know, that's a long, that's a long haul to, to come in and, 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 and beat somebody in the marketplace. Yeah. Think about, you know, Tesla lost money from 2010 to 2020. Ten years, they lost money every single year. And, John, what sustained them was emission credits. I mean, that was a yes, lifeline yes. for those. Well, emission, the credits, the emission credits helped them lose less money. It didn't make them money. They <laughs> yeah. still lost money even with the – no, what saved Tesla was Elon could pick up the phone and say, hey, I need $2 billion more, and kablamo, he got it. That's the challenge the other startups Let, face. They can't raise money like that. So, so basically, Lindsay, is the IRA the the new emissions credits? Absolutely. So, too, do you see that, that that's why all these battery plants are being built in the United States? Because they're going to be making money off of every you know kilowatt hour of battery that they produce? It's not just battery plants. It's going to be mining companies, $600 million from GM. It's going to be refineries all over North America, all over North America. Okay, so it 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 it's up and down the supply chain. We're going to see many more mining companies, many more refineries, and many more charging infrastructure companies. And so my fear is that there's there's going to be a decent amount of fraud because we're all writing this half a trillion dollar check that's probably going to end up being over a trillion dollars when it's all said and done. So let's efficiently deploy that capital, right? And I have a proposal for you, Lindsay, Gary, and John, because guess what? I think there's going to be a renaissance of EV startups because of Foxconn enabling them, right? So it's an asset light model. Guess what? You just design the interior and the user experience will build it for you, right? Yeah. So let's let's all four of us build a startup company and, and build an EV, guys. What do you think? So think well, I'll, I'll just I'll just toss this out uh, to give me your prospects for Rivian, which is on the rocks right now, and Faraday Future just you know is patting themselves on the back. They just it, it, now they can start production, so they're they're so Faraday, too, you know. Faraday Future is a cockroach, and their their vehicle technology is probably three or four years old, right? Because uh, first of all. It's a $150,000 car. Yeah, so it hasn't seen the light of day for five and, years. And what did they just raise? It was like 50 or 60 million bucks. They'll burn, yeah. it They'll burn through that next week. It's nothing, yeah. Yes. Well, the other thing, too, is that FinFast, who came out hot and heavy, is now you know, pumping the brakes, too. So right. 
Right. Uh, and, 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 and that tells us, man, it, building cars is really hard. And Tough. that's why I think Foxconn can be a bridge, right? I think Magnus Steyer can really be a bridge and they see opportunities uh, because Lordstown, um, they got to, to job one because of Foxconn, right? Because to your point, Lizzie, they wouldn't have made it to job one without Foxconn. Yeah. And so um, I, I, I do see, because there isn't much competition, right? There's the U.S. legacies that we all know. There's Tesla who's dominating. But that market share is, you know, as they still increase sales, their their market share will decrease. And there's Hyundai Kia that's doing really well. But there has to be some more startups to really, really build that competition up, I think. So, to, to, do, you, do you see the likelihood of sub $40,000 EVs coming from the traditional companies in any meaningful numbers? Without subsidies? Yes. Not for a while. And, and what you would know, a while be? Uh, I would say late 2020s. You know, I mm-hmm. think they're going to be selling at a loss. And, and, and again, where, where I believe it's going to happen faster than you think is because again, this is a digital world, right? And so GM and Ford are already kind of sort of building EVs. The infrastructure is already there, at least in China. So this is not unprecedented, right? I think um, we'll see some carve outs from the inflation reduction act that, that we'll probably scratch our heads and say, again, because the risk of letting the Chinese into the U S market is that they'll always go lower on price, right? And that's the danger and the risk. But the legacies, I, again, they cannot say, because the Mach-E in, in, in China, BYD is the, the battery supplier, right? And so on the low end, every Tesla has a BYD or CATL battery, right? So in order to get to that, price point, Gary, at this point in time, only a Chinese battery cell manufacturer can can allow you to even get close to that, right? Because NCM is way too much, way too expensive. Yeah, listen to the the propulsion experts that uh, I've heard say Mm -hmm. that the IRA is a game changer. I mean, the, the amount of investment going into the United States right now for the full supply chain is staggering. But it's going to take a decade before we can say that we've, quote unquote, caught up to the Chinese, even though they say by the late 2020s, 2028, 2029, the U.S. is going to be very, very competitive. And yeah. uh, the prices I've heard them talk about is we'll see $60 per kilowatt hour at the cell level. And uh, and that's going to be the key to getting, you know, inexpensive or mass market priced EVs in this country. Yeah, but I, I think some of this, too, it's all about the battery. And, uh, you know, we have this first wave of vehicles where everybody had to prove that every single big vehicle was a two-second zero-to-sixty vehicle. Just crazy. I mean, Hummer EV is just a big electron hog. But as as the automakers realize that there's more charging out there and the batteries can be smaller and maybe the car's a five-second zero-to-sixties car. Maybe that truck is a six- or seven-second, uh, and but it's... $15,000 less because it has a smaller battery. Isn't that a potential factor? So one of the things that 
I've always kind of said, and, and maybe John has heard this before, is that the leg is the foreign leg or the legacy automakers are the best marketing folks in the world, full stop. Because for the last hundred years, they've convinced us that a forty, fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollar investment in their product, which we use five percent of the time, is a prudent purchase. Right. Okay. And so maybe they'll because of the battery, the size of the battery and the range and stuff like that maybe they'll stop wanting to make Tahoes and Expeditions and Escalades because they're not going to make that $30,000 on it anymore, right? And so I do believe we are different because we do use towing and we have trucks and things, but we don't need 900,000, you know, 700,000 F-150s because I'm driving around Metro Detroit and I see an empty, an empty SUV most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't I need them, it, but right? Ford, Ford needs them. We don't need yes. them. Ford, <laughs> yes, so yes, let's absolutely, absolutely Gary, absolutely yeah. Gary. But but that that's because they made so much money off of them. If they don't make money off them, will they start pushing and marketing and trying to you know get us to uh, be influenced by other types of vehicles? Right. I I I I do see something like that possibly happening in the future. So. Yeah. Hey, look, know, we're yeah, gonna have to. Yeah. I'm just because one, one final parting shot here to your point too. I, I pulled in the other day uh, uh, for a meeting at my church and four, there was four pickup trucks lined up and I pulled into my Ford Maverick and there was a full-size Ram, a brand new full-size GMC and a brand new full-size F-150. And all these guys have known them forever. They all looked at me and said, why did you buy that little thing? <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they weren't all geezers. I mean, there was some some guys in their 40s and 50s. And I think, you know, Americans classically buy far more than they need of everything. So yes. I, I'm not, you know, I, I would like to see things get smaller, but I don't think most people do. Well, you know, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up and I'll, I'll, I'll leave this that, you know, the old advertising adage, because too, you said, can can they influence people to buy these EVs and like, but, you know, the old advertising line is I know that half my advertising is really effective. I just don't know which half. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's not just advertising. It's what people want. But, well, hey, guys, this great. This is really a good discussion. Absolutely. To- totally. Really good, too. Thanks so much for coming on. You know, you're a wealth of knowledge there. It's excellent. Thanks, thanks Gary. Nice meeting you. John, yeah, thank thanks you for having me. Really hey, good. Okay. Let's talk soon. Bye. See you guys. Ciao. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone Tires, solutions for your journey. If you like this program and would like to learn more about the automotive industry, check out our website at Autoline.tv or look for us on YouTube on the Autoline channel. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 